Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store, we've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome into the Saturday show, hour two underway here. We are brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Hope you all are doing great on this Saturday. Uh, snow up there in Ann Arbor between Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, Michigan just got another stop and forced a punt. Uh, for the Ohio State Buckeyes, still seven to three in that ball game. We'll keep you updated on different scores from around the country throughout today's show. But that game's the big game, obviously, because it has massive college football playoff implications for both of these teams. Michigan sitting at four, excuse me, sitting at five currently, just outside the playoff field. Ohio State, they are number two in the country as of now. And of course, we have two more sets of those college football playoff rankings and two teams here locally who will be interested to see uh, where they stand in those uh, when they come out next Tuesday. will be Utah and BYU. We're going to spend some time talking about both of these programs. We'll start off with the Utes, the 19th ranked University of Utah, capping off their regular season yesterday afternoon with a win over Colorado 28-13. to was not necessarily the cleanest performance for Utah. Special teams issues once again, uh, allowing uh, Colorado to have a kick return for a touchdown, won 103 yards, if I recall correctly, 104 yards, something like that. Uh, but Utah, this game, had no implications on what was going on this coming Friday when they head to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game. So it was a game that Utah just needed to get through, and they did what they needed to do to win it. Uh, they ran the ball well, a grand total of 265 yards rushing on 45 carries. It's a healthy average of 5.9 yards per carry. Two running backs over 100 yards, Tavion Thomas uh, reprising his role as Utah's lead back with 25 carries and 142 yards. T.J. Pledger also uh, having a fantastic close to the season. He was honored on senior day yesterday. He had 13 attempts for 103 yards, averaging 7.9 yards per carry. So really, really good day for Utah all the way around, it felt like, just getting that win and now obviously turning their attention to the Pac-12 title game. So let's hear now from Kyle Whittingham, his postgame comments, as he both recaps the win over Colorado and also looks ahead to the Pac-12 championship game next Friday down there in Las Vegas. Okay, yeah, I thought our uh, defense played exceptionally well today. Um, 148 yards and uh, zero touchdowns, and so uh, it's about as good as it gets. I'm proud of those guys. Uh, offensively, weren't as efficient and didn't execute quite as well as we have been over the last uh, stretch, six, seven weeks, but uh, did enough to win the football game. Wasn't our best performance. Credit Colorado. Played hard. Uh, had a good plan coming in and uh, slowed us down a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's a, a good conclusion to the regular season. And uh, like I said, did what we needed to do in the final analysis. Uh, now we got to sit back and wait and find out who our opponent's going to be uh, this coming Friday down in Las Vegas. And uh, as soon as we know who that's going to be, then we'll get started. If not sooner, we'll, we'll start on, you know, some just uh, pre preliminary stuff uh, for all three teams. And so we'll, we'll figure that out as we go along. So questions? 
played all three teams, so I mean, you've got tape at least on it. What's, what's it like to be able to just sit there and wait, knowing that you do have some planning available? Uh, we wish we knew right this second, so I can go over to the office right now and get started. But, but uh, my understanding is, uh, you know, there's three different combinations or possibilities, and by 5 p.m. tomorrow we should know. Uh, playing each of the teams, no advantage. I mean, they've played us as well, so so there really is no. Uh, big deal in that as far as I can tell and and uh, you know of course we we uh, didn't do so well against Oregon State they played very well against us had the uh, got a win against the other two teams but but uh, all that'll be out the window and it'll be a you know this game will be its own entity and we got to play well I think we have. I think we have. And uh, key was to stay healthy tonight. I believe we did that. We might have a few bumps and bruises, but but uh, we got a full week. Uh, it's not a short week, so we sh should get some guys healed up. But uh, I think it was a positive ending to the season. Positive ending to a very positive season, but we still have work to do. Britton said that uh, it was, you know, naturally just hard to focus on this game with Pac-12 coming up with that goal. Is that kind of hard for you guys to focus on? Obviously, you've got to get a win over Colorado, but mm -hmm. Pac-12 has always been your goal and where you want to win. Well, the, the week of practice was outstanding. You know, there was no drop off in work ethic or focus or concentration, and so that was an indicator that uh, you know we were we had the right mindset. We just weren't as as uh, we didn't have the look in our eye like we did last week. You know, but but we did. Like I said, we did play well enough to win, and and uh, again, Colorado deserves credit for uh, for playing hard. Under 150 total yards, you got to be happy with that. This day and age, that's not easy to do. And uh, great job by our defense. And uh, I think they only had less than 10 first, yeah, nine first downs. And so uh, a lot of really good stuff by that defense. They were active. They flew around, and uh, you know, just gave up those couple of field goals. And of course, the other touchdown came on another kickoff return, which was uh, something that we thought we had corrected, but uh, not tonight, not this afternoon. You had a few of those fourth down situations where there was a turnover on downs. Is that maybe more indicative of where things are with the, co the, the kicking team versus maybe just thinking you could get to it? I think it's both. Uh, it's uh, analytics, first of all. It's what we see in practice all week long with the field goal unit, uh, the confidence level. So there's a lot that goes into that, but but predominantly it's analytics. I mean that's the that's the thing that that uh, you know we lean on pretty heavily, and uh, we I don't think we made a decision that went against the analytics tonight at all. I think it was all pretty much in line. How cool was it to have the uh, 22 forever decal on your guys' helmets as you guys play your last game in the state? It was great, and uh, just to have that tribute one more time to see that between the third and fourth quarters was awesome. It, it's. Uh, you know, it's emotional for me every time I see it. And, and uh, you know, those guys, we love those guys. They're in the forefront of our minds all the time. And, uh, you know, to continue to memorialize them and pay tribute to them is, I think it's awesome. Talking to Britton Covey, he, he, he said that uh, you guys have turned something tragic into something beautiful. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that 100%. And I think our, our players deserve so much credit for, for how they've gotten through this and, and uh, the way they've handled it and just the, the, and the leadership on this team is really the, the ones that are responsible for that, including Britt Covey, the captains, and all the other upperclassmen. There you go, Kyle Whittingham. You heard him talk about the fact that uh, they did not play their cleanest game. Defensively, they, very, they did played very well. This is a Colorado team who is inept offensively, but they did not allow Colorado to do much of anything, holding them under 150 yards. 
nine first downs. That is impressive, but it was not, as you heard him say, we did not have the same look in our eye as we did against Oregon. And I completely understand why they wouldn't, just because that was a game you're just you're getting through it. You're you're not going out there. There's nothing on the line in that game like it, there was against Oregon. Uh, I get why the juice would be lacking a little bit there, but Utah gets the win, so congratulations to them. And now we they wait the battle of the platypus today between Oregon and Oregon State to find out if they'll be facing off against Washington State or getting the Oregon Ducks for a second time in three weeks down there in Las Vegas. All right, obviously BYU in action tonight, uh, playing late night, 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time on ESPN down there in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum taking on the USC Trojans. Uh, programming note for you guys. Some of you are probably wondering, okay, when's the Cougar pregame show starting? It's actually going to start at 5 o'clock tonight. It's going to be an early pregame just due to Utah State and Utah Jazz coverage here on The Zone. So Hans Olsen and myself will be live from JCW's and Provo getting you ready for that game at 5 o'clock. We'll have postgame coverage immediately after this game goes final, though. So just kind of a programming note on that front. Wanted to get you guys a little bit of an insight of what to expect from USC as they face off against the Cougars, the 13th-ranked Cougars. We, of course, with DJ and PK, have Ryan Abraham. He's a regular on the show talking all things USC. Joined PK yesterday to talk about this matchup, and let's let you hear that conversation now. Ryan, are you ready for 15,000 BYU fans to invade the L.A. Memorial Coliseum tomorrow night? They're already around. You can see the blue shirts uh, everywhere in Los <laughs> Angeles. So, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, – you'll have a good time in the Coliseum. Um, yeah, USC is kind of a program that's – I mean, honestly, like circling the drain right now, just trying to figure out who the next head coach is going to be. They seem to just be playing out the string, but it's college football. Anything could happen. But, yeah, it's uh, – the way UCLA handled USC uh, last weekend, I don't think it gives USC fans a ton of hope that uh, this weekend's going to go much better. Yeah, so you look at the offense, and whether it's Slovis or Dart, uh, they've been pretty good. Running backs have been okay. Obviously, the big receivers hurt, but they still got some other guys there. So offensively, they look okay. Defensively, they're atrocious. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. In special teams, they had they gave up the kickoff to the Bruins. I'm wondering, since the offense seems to be okay and the defense just needs a ton of work, how much do you think that will play into whether they decide to hire an offensive head coach or a defensive head coach? Yeah, I mean, even the offense, to be honest, has just not been what it was like we saw in 2019 when they first introduced the air raid. Uh, I mean, there's been some games, like Jackson Dart's first game against Washington State when he came in after Slovis got hurt. They look great. But since uh, Drake London's gone down, it just doesn't seem to be clicking uh, all that much for the offense. So, I, you know, I don't know just the struggles this year if it's going to impact where they go. Sometimes you like to go opposite. If it was an offensive coach, you like to get a defensive coach. But I really feel just, you know, that this administration is just trying to find who the best guy is going to be for the next 10 years. And when fans talk to me about, oh, they need a defensive guy, they need an offensive guy, I think you just need the best leader of men you can find, someone that you think can bring this program back to national prominence where it should be. So I don't think it's going to impact it either way as far as offense or defensive, but there's some interesting candidates out there, but a lot of candidates seem to be wanting to stay where they are. So with all these jobs open, it's crazy right now. It's like musical chairs, and I don't know how many seats are left for uh, with great head coaches that these programs can jump on. So is, is Dart going to start or is Slovis? Yeah, so Dart's going to be the guy. Um, Keontae Ingram, the running back, has done really well. He's going to be a game-time uh, decision, but we still haven't seen Slovis practice this week. So my, my guess is, 
once he got that lower leg injury, they. I mean, I think I think the coaches wanted to go with Dart, at least Dante Woods go with Dart, just to get some excitement going. Um, you know, he played half of the previous games, the Arizona, Arizona State games. He split times with Slovis, and then last weekend against uh, UCLA, he got the whole, you know, the whole thing. So uh, it, to me, just the offense sort of looked the same. But he's got a lot of promise. Uh, you know, the Draper Utah kid, and I think the fans have really been behind him. But you know, without Drake London out there, just the offense doesn't seem to to work as a, a finely oiled machine, no matter who the quarterback is. So is Slovis done with college ball? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think he's got options. Like, it, Dart seems to be the future at USC. You obviously, with new head coaching coming in, you just don't know. I mean, they could be running a triple option for all we know. I doubt it, but like, something like that could happen. Um, I kind of lean towards that, that Slovis might try to test the NFL waters uh, before it, or go into the transfer portal. I think it would be more like try out the NFL. Um, you know, it's probably not going to be a high draft pick, but if he can get on a roster somewhere, he can kind of make a name for himself. I mean, he, he has the option to transfer somewhere, too. I just don't see him being in a Cardinal and Gold next season either way. Ryan Amberham, publisher of USCfootball.com, joining us. Some talk we've been bat- bannering this about this whole week here is that, okay, SC's 4-6. and six. Uh, the way I look at it is that, you know, obviously they don't want to finish under 500, so they got Cal next week and they got the Cougars this week. And uh, with that in mind, the other line of thought is, hey, let's get this season over, pack it in. We got two games uh, in uh, eight days. The season will be over and we can forget about it. I tend to think that, you know, they don't want to finish under 500, so I'm expecting as much as they can to at least in the beginning, if not the entire game, but in the beginning be emotionally into it to try to give the Cougars a run. How about you? Yeah, no, I agree with you. The problem was this is kind of a team. It's like a boxer that uh, can't take a punch really well. It seems like they could come out and be fired up and, and be excited. But as soon as you see some adversity, as soon as something goes wrong on the field, it's hard for everyone to kind of rally around that. I just think, you know, you have a lot of people that are probably thinking – individual thoughts as opposed to thinking about the team because you know even the coaches know likely in eight days they're without a job uh you know barring some miracle where they win their last two games and and make a bowl game but um yeah you feel like that's sort of the case that they could come out and play strong but is it going to be able to last i know there's players that want to make it to a bowl game i mean this team hasn't won a bowl game since the 2016 season when they won the Rose Bowl in 2017 over Penn State. That's the last time they won a bowl game. So I think some of the players still want to do this, but the way that's gone down where you have 10 games of an interim head coach after firing head coach, that's a long stretch. And I think there's a lot of people that are sort of like counting the number of meetings, counting the number of practices left, and like you mentioned, two games in the, in the last eight days. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a mix of that on the team. If they can get some going early and keep it going – the problem is, I think if there's any bumps in the road, I'm not sure this team's going to be able to overcome that and be able to keep their heads in the game for the full 60 minutes. So, other programs in the or programs in the Pac-12 have picked off notable LDS players, right? And obviously, the BYU sponsored by the LDS Church, and you know, Jackson Dart being one of them, and they picked off Utah kids. This is sort of out of your league because you're focused on SC a little bit. But what do you think about the Cougars going 5-0 and in the Pac-12 this year? Uh, two good seasons, momentum going into the Big 12. Uh, in terms of 
maybe not losing some of these kids to these other programs that they need to get. Yeah, I think just the you see the success on the field and putting a guy like Doc Wilson as a you know a top three whatever draft pick. I mean, there's I think there's some momentum building there from BYU just to be able to beat um, potentially the the winner of the Pac-12 North and South this season going undefeated uh, in the Pac-12. I mean, that's that's saying something. I think you know you want to have legitimacy. Cincinnati has. Some legitimacy because they beat Notre Dame. You know, Indiana's not as good, but to go, you know, five in the Pac-12, uh, I think that's really impressive to me. And they're going to be part of the, you know, trying to get the Big 12 back to what everyone's going to think is Power Five stats without Oklahoma or Texas. I think that's going to be, you know, BYU could be an important, you know, piece of that puzzle. So, uh, yeah, I think you can build the momentum there. There's going to be, you know, guys that leave for other programs all the time, but. Uh, I mean, you know, being legitimate in the state, being legitimate in the region, you know, being able to recruit California and Texas, whatever. Do, you know, I think you got to do all that stuff as well. But um, certainly seems like BYU's taking some you know, steps in the right direction when you can go 5-0 and against the Power 5 league. Ryan Abraham joining us. Any idea what the time frame is on hiring a coach? Obviously, they've had the longest because they fired him, what, in game two. He's already got another job, which is, I don't know if it's ironic, but it's just indicative of the crazy season. And so now we're upon it. You know, the season for at least the regular season for most teams, except for the conference title games, ends tomorrow. So I'm thinking it ought to be fairly soon, right? We should know pretty soon. I mean, the problem is there's a lot of coaches in play that their seasons could go on longer than you expect. If it's someone like, uh, you know, Iowa State's Matt Campbell, he's not making the conference championship game. And potentially after this weekend, um, you could hear something about that. If it's a guy like Luke Fickle, I mean, he's making a run in the college football playoff. That might not be until January where you get to, uh, you know, hire someone like him. So, and, And the fact that there is the LSU job open, and the Florida job open, you know, in Virginia Tech, Washington, TCU, there's a bunch of, you know, good top 20, top 15, three top 10 jobs that are open right now. And you might not be getting the guy you want when you guys like James Franklin, Mel Tucker, sign these huge extensions. Uh, you know, there's reports that Dave Aranda would be sticking around. But, there, I, I, yeah, I mean, it could be as soon as this weekend, but it might not be, you know, for weeks to come. But it's just it's just been absolutely crazy. Uh, and the amount of money being thrown around when you can set, sign these guys to 10-year extensions, uh, it's changing It's changing the game. So it might not be the best time to have a, you know, try to be trying to hire a head coach just because there's so much competition right now. It's like real estate. Uh, there's just not a lot of inventory out there. Yeah. Could you handicap uh, who you see as potential candidates, and would you put Sataki on that list? Uh, I, th- I think he could potentially be, especially with the way things are are going, where it looks like there's you know maybe not one, no one's going to get their first choice. Um, I mean, he, you know, the kind of toughness he's bringing, especially that you know if he comes into the Coliseum and really puts a beat down on him. He, people talk about Mario Cristobal when he came into the Coliseum last year and beat USC. They wanted to see him as a candidate, which I don't really see. But I think the three that you know everyone's been talking about the most is Dave Aranda, Baylor. Matt Campbell at Iowa State and Luke Fickle at um, at Cincinnati, and you know Mike Bone has already hired Luke Fickle once, uh, but two of those guys, you know, Fickle and Campbell, there's been a lot of talk about they're more Midwestern guys. They probably don't want to leave for the the glamour of Los Angeles, and you know there's reports 
recently at Dave Aranda, they're trying to work a, a deal with him. He's only been there two years at, at Baylor, but you know has a chance to win a conference this year. So there's, I mean, those are the top three, and all three of them might end up staying where they are. So it's uh, that's why it's such a silly season. Um, so many, so many crazy things going on. There's got to be so many interesting behind the scenes conversations going on, trying to figure out who's going to go where. So we're uh, we're all waiting like beta, with bated breath just to try to find out who's going where. For sure, Ryan Abraham, publisher of USCFootball.com, joining us. So I, I think that SC, you know, they've got to get it right because if you look at what's happened since the Utes have joined the conference, uh, I, I tallied it up here just in my head, so I could be off. But I think that the other five teams in the, just the division, not the conference, just the division, in the time that the Utes have been in and they came in in 2011, there has been 20 head coaches and the other five teams in that time that Utah's just had one. And I think SC's had five. Uh, yeah. and obviously, that just is not going to work. And I think if you look at it, one of the keys, if not the key of success for Utah is stability, whereas nobody, literally nobody else in the division has had stability in the coaching. 100%. I think continuity is a big deal. And I think Lynn Swan tried to create that at USC when he was there because he came from the Pittsburgh Steelers model. The problem is, you know, if you have success, continuity is great. If you're not having success, and they weren't having success with Clay Helton, they signed him to like this fully guaranteed five-year extension. Lynn Swan did, and he goes five and seven. You know, six months later, so there's problems there too. That end up, you know, USC end up getting locked up with Clay Helton for years longer than they wanted, and now they're the mess of the program that they are right now. But I think finding those guys is important. And if if you're not sure, you know, Mel Tucker, I think they really like him at Michigan State, um, and they're going to overpay for him just to keep him and just to have that that continuity and the stability like you talked about. And I think it's going to be a lot easier to uh, stick with the guy, you know, uh, especially if they're having somewhat level of success and try to build on that as opposed to starting fresh. And I, maybe we see less of a silly season going forward. If this coaching carousel, this, this season with all the top jobs open, uh, doesn't turn all that well, uh, turn out well for those programs that you're not able to get someone that you can have continuity with. Uh, I think people have itchy trigger fingers when it comes to this stuff, but yeah. we're seeing programs that kind of stick with their guy have better luck. There you go. Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com does a great job covering all things USC. I'm looking forward to this game tonight. Uh, I, I'm with Ryan on the one thing he said. That if, if BYU goes out there, USC's going to be motivated early on, but if BYU gets them down early, this is a team that I think is likely to fold. They're They're going to pack it in. So, it's going to be very important for BYU to get a, a good start down there in the Coliseum. I'm expecting a lot of BYU fans, though, as well. I, very much. Uh, the Okay, Jeff, here's a question for you. Will BYU fans outnumber USC fans in the Coliseum tonight? That's a good question because I think, obviously, BYU has a lot of fans mm-hmm. no matter what. But I would also say that if USC fans are much like maybe some of the players where they're just kind of packing it in, all right, let's 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 just wait for next year, hope it's better, yeah. like they may not show out and it might just kind of be a BYU-dominated game. Because even though this game doesn't matter so much for BYU and they are expected yeah. to win, 
the fans still want to go and be loud and be rowdy and cheer them on, like no matter what. That's a very good point. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out tonight. But once again, kickoff in that game set for 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, BYU pregame and Cougar pregame show will come your way at 5 o'clock ahead of Utah State. Utah Jazz coverage here on The Zone. Hans Olsen and myself will have you covered down there at JCW's in Provo. And then, of course, we'll have postgame coverage immediately after this game goes final, 11.30, midnight, somewhere in that range. We'll have it all covered for you guys. All right, coming up next, we'll get to five minutes of uh, talk some sake and some more of the other topics we haven't touched on on today's show. That's all coming up next right here on The Saturday Show. Let's go live! We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend! You're locked on to The Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network, presented proudly by our friends over at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, time for five minutes of. We usually do this in our second to last segment, hit on some of the other topics of uh, different sports stories we haven't had a chance to hit on today. And one of our oldies but goodies in this segment is Saki. So hit it, Jeff. Could be an opportunity here, and it's sent over the goalkeeper's head and into the back of the net. And Manchester United have the lead, and once again, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. Now into Marcus Rashford. Carl Torres goes alongside him, ball whipped in. Fernandez collected by Jaden Sancho, who scores his first goal for Manchester United. 2-0 on the night, three massive points for Michael Carrick and Manchester United in this most turbulent of weeks. Slavin plays it to the outside. Johansson out of the corner. He'll dance a bit, circle the track, hold on to it, wind it, he And Williams heads it forward. A chance here. Hatch and Hatch. She scores in her first starting appearance. U.S. gets one of the earliest goals they have ever scored. Coyle walks on and then elects to go to the corner again. He couldn't get anybody. Flipped it out in front of the net. There's Paul's shot. What a rocket shot that was. 5-1 Boston. And now up comes Kellen Rowe, the Ironman for Seattle. The Seattle kid played every game for them this season. He takes at the beginning of sudden death rounds. And it's saved by Ochoa. And RSL a kick away from winning it. And upsets the American Justin Glad a chance to win it. Joined RSL as a 15-year-old. His coach was Freddie Juarez in the academy in Arizona. Juarez on Seattle's bench. Justin Glad at the age of 24 can knock Seattle out. And he does. It gets in. Fry got a piece, but it bounced across the line. RSL has knocked Seattle out of the playoffs. There you go. Another fantastic open. Uh, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong. You and Eric kind of collaborate on that, right? Is that is that, that one all you on this one? 
It just depends on who's producing that okay. week. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you guys do a great job with it. I, I just tip of the cap to both of you because it's not easy to round up all that audio, but you guys do a fantastic job with it. But as you heard uh, right there, right, last thing coming in, Real Salt Lake, uh, somehow zero shots registered in 120 minutes of action. But, hey, when you leave it to chance with penalty kicks, that's when it comes down to who can make the most kicks. And Real Salt Lake does advance. Uh, they'll be facing off against Sporting Kansas City tomorrow in the Western Conference semifinals. Uh, winner will take on Portland, the Timbers beating number one seed Colorado uh, on Thursday, Thanksgiving, actually. It was a Thanksgiving showdown in MLS uh, playoff action. And uh, Jeff, that was a crazy, crazy outcome for Real Salt Lake. Because as I mentioned, Zero shots attempted. Outshot twenty-one to zero. Outcornered fifteen to one. Everything was stacked against them, and it is exactly—I don't care what anyone says—that is exactly what they plan to do. They plan to hunker because, as it's been said, when they play expansive Mm -hmm. football, soccer, they get absolutely crushed. Massive score lines, massive goals let in. So they did exactly what they planned on, and they came out victorious. Yeah, they've gotten carved open multiple times this year, but hey. When it counts, they got the win. That's all that matters. And we all know that Seattle drives everybody nuts in Major League Soccer, so you're welcome, Seattle. You're you're not out of the playoffs. Uh, but the thing about it, the whole storyline of that match, you heard him talk about uh, Freddie Juarez, Justin Glad. Freddie Juarez was his coach at the Real Salt Lake Academy. The Freddie Juarez story, I feel like, has been underreported on here locally and even nationally. This is a coach who left his current club midseason, joins a team in the same conference the very same season, and what of it? It's just, it's unprecedented in many ways, and it screamed everything I needed to know about Freddie Juarez in the process. That's, that's all, that's all I got to say on that front. But the nice part is Real Salt Lake has a chance now uh, to make an unprecedented run in the major league uh soccer playoffs here with a win tomorrow what are you expecting Jeff well for one thing I'll say the same thing I said when we got in the playoffs is Mm -hmm. that whatever happens this absolutely has to be considered a successful season based on the adversity that we've been through as far as what I expect um, obviously there's a lot of history with Sporting Kansas City I don't even want to mention it anybody that knows Sporting Kansas City knows what the thing I will not mention Um, I just Oh, it's it's still it still hurts too much, okay. um, but there's a lot of history there. Uh, it's very intense, uh, blue hell as they call it. It's a very difficult place to play, and we have had some success there recently. Um, I think the plan is going to be the same. It's a little bit different in the sense that Tim Melia is an insanely good PK stopper, sure. and so we can't quite play for P- not that Stefan Fry is not a, he's a he's an excellent yeah. goalkeeper as well, but Tim Melia's uh, the Sporting Kansas City goalkeeper just has a much higher pk percentage save rate um and so playing for pks i don't know if it works the same way i still think we need to hunker in like we did against seattle but i think we have to look for more opportunities on the break and counterattacks because just going to pks against timelia it is not as good of a plan and again we have struggled in Kansas City on PKs, yeah. So yeah, that's that's a very good point. So it it'll be interesting. And the big the big part of this is it's national TV, ABC tomorrow. So Channel Four here locally, you can watch Real Salt Lake take on Sporting Kansas City. One o'clock uh, is first kick in that match. Well, okay, 
they always say one o'clock and then it kicks off. I don't know how many minutes after that. Uh, 20, 25. I know. It's, it's annoying. It's what it is. I get why they do what they do, but it's also annoying to me as just a sports fan in general. One thing I forgot to uh-huh. mention, and I don't know if anything's been decided yet as far as Albert Rusnak, uh, oh, captain, yeah. who was out in Seattle in, in COVID protocol, if he will be back in time. Because, I mean, you, I, I still think that Demir Krylock is is our team's MVP this season. He was voted team MVP, yeah. but he was he got no service with with Roos knockout. And so, if we're gonna look to try to have opportunities on the counterattack, having Roos knock available, I think is massively important. And without him, again, it's gonna make it it's already it's already underdog tough 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 mm. situation to be yeah. in. But without Roos, if we were playing without Roos Knock, it's going to be even more difficult. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult, and the, the it'll be interesting. I just I'm excited, as you mentioned. It's they're playing with house money right now. If you're thinking of Real Salt Lake, there's been so much going against this club. The fact that they have made it to the Western Conference semifinals yet again, little old Real Salt Lake, just uh, absolutely obliterating everybody's expectations. I saw many preseason projections that had RSL bottom of the table. Pretty impressive to see them now with a chance uh, two wins away from going to MLS Cup. So it'd be uh, an interesting thing to see how it plays out tomorrow. I, I've, I think the road ends here. That's my personal opinion. I think Sporting Kansas City is going to beat Real Salt Lake, but I also thought that going to Lumen Field, where uh, they played Seattle, RSL's run in the playoffs is over. So what do I know? It's. I'm not going to say what I think is going to happen tomorrow because. Obviously, the fan in me was like, "Yeah, of course, we're gonna win the whole thing." It's, it's tough, but but anything yeah. can happen. I'm I'm curious, and I don't know how much time we have to talk, but I'm curious to see your thoughts on the uh, David Ochoa banter um, as he, in his first starting season with Real Salt Lake, is making himself actively into a villain and enjoying it the whole way through he's been that way since he came up with the Real Salt Lake Academy this is a young man who loves all of it he, he the dark arts the you know there's a certain term in soccer that they use that cannot be said on air it's an English term he is the king of it and he embraces it to the fullest extent he is the villain we all deserve he, he just embraces it and he's a good player to back it up. That's the good news about it. I'm just seeing this. I, I thought this was the case. Albert Rusnak will not be available. Uh, he was uh, he failed a COVID test last Sunday and will still be under the league's COVID-19 protocol going into this match against Sporting Kansas City. So they All right, not, they here we go. Have Someone's going to have to step up. Yep, so uh, tough deal there. Uh, also on the Saki front, talking a little bit about hockey. Jeff, I don't know if you saw this. Did you see the glove-throwing incident that we saw between the no, Rangers I and didn't. the Bruins? I know you're, the Bruins are technically your team. Uh, so New York Rangers forward Artemi Panarin has been fined $5,000 for throwing one of his gloves, gloves, excuse me, at Boston Bruins winger Brad Marchand. Uh, the NHL announced the punishment earlier today. The punishment, the, excuse me, the fine is the maximum allowed under the league's collective bargaining agreement with the Players Union. Uh, Panarin and Martian were standing in front of their respective benches when the glove-throwing episode uh, took place during the third period of their of New York's 5-2 victory at Boston on Friday. You literally see him, because uh, the benches are relatively close. They have the, um, the what do they call it? The, the penalty mid, box? The, they have the penalty box. They also have the mid-ice reporter. They've instituted that where they have the reporter down there on the ice. Well, you can see uh, Panarin kind of reach out. I saw this actually on social media. I was laughing. He reaches out and he just throws his glove at Martian, hits him, and the referee turns around like, what did you just do? <laughs> they both got assessed, um, I believe, 
Let me double check here. Yeah, both were assessed a misconduct penalty for their reactions during the whole deal. But just one of those funny things with hockey. And by the way, uh, Alex Ovechkin, uh, 36 years old, got his career 28th hat trick. Uh, gave the Caps a 4-3 win over the Florida Panthers. Uh, the Capitals are suddenly red hot. They got 9-1 in their last 10 games. Uh, they're second in the, what do they call that division? I don't remember what they call that division. But they're second in their division. It is the Metropolitan Division. They're just behind the Carolina Hurricanes. So, Congrats to Ovi. Continues to get it done at 36 years old. That dude is a living legend. Fun to see him continuing to get it done out there on the ice. All right. Uh, one other note before we go here I wanted to touch on is that LeBron James was fined $15,000 for an obscene gesture Friday by the NBA. I also warned the Lakers superstar about using profane language. He made the gesture after making a shot late in their 124 to 116 overtime victory in Indiana on Wednesday night. He had missed a loss at New York earlier when he was suspended for hitting Detroit center Isaiah Stewart in the face and drawing blood last Sunday. Uh, He called it um, horse, you know what, uh, about uh, him being suspended, which he absolutely should have been suspended. You see him look and cold cock Stewart. I'm sorry. He can call it what he wants. He knew what he was doing. I don't know if you have any different thought on that, Jeff. But No, I, I completely agree. And the thing is, the unfortunate part about it, when players have the amount of money that they do, oh, yeah. they do whatever they want and don't really put too much thought into it. Joe Ingles, I don't know if you heard this promo I had. He got a fine for uh, being ejected, and the NBA apparently sends you an email and say, hey, you've been fined this much, this is the reason why, this is when you're supposed to pay it. He replied all. He told DJ and PK this. He replied all and said, hey, if you guys will send me your Venmo, I'll ship it right over to you. Like, that's the thing, though. These guys, the $15,000 is chump change to LeBron James. No one's going to do with $15,000. I know. All of us, it's life-changing money for many of us out there in the real world. But for LeBron James, it's absolute chump change. He's a billion-dollar athlete, yes, with a B, and he could literally scrounge it up probably in his couch cushions and ship it off to the NBA. But nonetheless, he gets warned, he gets fined uh, for his conduct, which absolutely deserved a suspension. That's just me, and I'm convinced if this is not LeBron James – it's more than a one-game suspension. That's just me. Isaiah Stewart got two games, obviously, for his reaction, and he deserved it because he kept trying to charge after LeBron. And I understand it. When you see blood, when you see red, it's not fun. So I understand Isaiah Stewart's reaction. He got two-game suspension for it, but LeBron only one game. Got off relatively light. So for him to call it you know, he, what he did I made me chuckle. I'm like, okay, that – You can say what you want, LeBron, but you knew what you did. All right, coming up in a minute, we'll wrap up today's show with some final thoughts. All right, here on the Saturday show. Oh, and one other thing on this uh, with LeBron. Lakers, they're scuffling along. You want to talk about the Utah Jazz scuffling along? Talk about the Lakers scuffling along right now. That's – David Locke mentioned this. This is a team that's really old, and they may not be as good as people think they are, and so far this season they have not been that team. It just makes – me happy when teams with a lot of money uh-huh. don't do well because I'm like, where where are you going to try to go with the excuse? Because obviously the Jazz this year have, have struggled, but they're a small market team mm-hmm. who, you know, last year got in the playoffs and, you know, whatever. But a, a team like the Lakers, it's just like, what, like, what's, what's your answer when things aren't going well? Yeah. You have the money, you have the stars, you have the facilities, you have the staff, you have it all. They really don't have any excuses. Yeah, no, you're right. It's They will come up with something, but we'll see what they ultimately do come up with. All right, more in a moment. This is the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. Saturday. We rock your weekend. 
The weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope y'all are doing great out there on this Saturday. A busy day ahead here on the Zone, by the way. I uh, want to remind you guys that BYU, the Cougar pregame show, ahead of their matchup with USC tonight will be at 5 o'clock on the Zone ahead of Utah State and Utah Jazz coverage beginning at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll have that. So 5 to 6, Hans Olsen and myself will be live at JCW's in Provo. Love to see you guys stop by if you want to get some dinner ahead of that game. Uh, kickoff in that matchup set for 8.30. But then, as I mentioned, Utah State hoops will be on 12.80 a.m. Uh, as they will take on UT Arlington up there in the spectrum. A uh, nice start, by the way, for college hoops all around the state. Obviously, you got Utah and BYU squaring off in hoops tonight, 7.30 on the Pac-12 Networks. And as I mentioned, Utah Jazz coverage tonight beginning at 6 o'clock with the Jazz Game Night pregame show. Uh, that'll be Jake Scott and Tim Lacombe getting you ready ahead of that matchup. And then David Locke and Ron Boone with the play-by-play coverage as the Jazz try to respond because uh, we, we talked about it a lot today. This is a disappointing loss, none more so than that loss last night against the New Orleans Pelicans. Just a disappointing start to the season for the Jazz. Uh, and considering they sit at 12-7, and you know, they got a winning record. They've not played up to their ability, it feels like. And th- that's the thing about this is you want to see this team respond. We heard Quinn Snyder earlier on on today's show. If you want to listen to a podcast form, if you want to go find it, just search out Utah Jazz on your podcast feed. He talked about we'll find out a lot tonight about how this team responds, just how they come out for this matchup. So very interested to see how the Jazz go about things tonight with a matchup, a rematch, excuse me, against the New Orleans Pelicans. I think that they just need to go out there and absolutely lay the wood to New Orleans and just end this one early. We'll find out. Uh, a coaching update for you guys. You've seen this come across. Ross Dellinger and Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated saying that Billy Napier, the head coach of the Louisiana Lafayette Ragin' Cajuns, he is the top guy in terms of who Florida is focusing on as their new head coach there in Gainesville. Uh, he has passed on a number of jobs in recent years to stick with Louisiana, kind of waiting his time to get the job he feels like is the perfect fit for him. And apparently, according to multiple reports out there, I've seen Football Scoop also reporting this, it appears that Florida, the Florida Gators, are where he's going to make his next move. And I think it's actually a pretty savvy hire, if we're being honest, because Napier's been very, very good there in the Sun Belt with the Raging Cajuns. They're saying that uh, if he takes the job, he would coach uh, Louisiana Lafayette. I know they go just go by Louisiana now, but I still call him Louisiana Lafayette. They coach in the Sun Belt Championship game next week, uh, leading the Raging Cajuns one last time before uh, obviously taking over there in Gainesville with the Gators. Uh, the biggest thing is, though, will he have the success that, guy, that a guy like um, Dan Mullen had? Dan Mullen is the third winningest coach by winning percentage for the Gators in their history. The only guys that outdid him were the old ball coach Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer, and both of those guys won national titles. So you just fired a guy. Uh, speaking of Dan Mullen, you're going to expect Billy Napier to come in and lead you to heights that only two other coaches have done in their recent memory. We'll see. It'll be interesting. And, of course, the SEC, very, very tough. The nice part is you are in the opposite division 
of uh, Alabama, so that does help. You're in the East, so there's that opportunity to beat up on some other teams outside of Alabama annually. But obviously, we all know that Alabama and Georgia, to a degree, are kind of the big dogs right now. Georgia ranked number one in the country for good reason. That defense has been ferocious. We'll see if they have staying power atop the SEC as well. All right, that's going to do it uh, for us. For Jeff, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Plenty more coverage later on today on The Zone, so stay tuned for that. But have a great Saturday regardless. This has been The Saturday Show, brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Once again, thank you for joining us. This has been The Saturday Show right here on The Zone Sports Network. See you.